are entering the Freedom Hut. An amazing meeting between the leader of North Korea and the leader of South Korea. Is this the beginning of an actual peace process or is it all one big scam? Plus, more fallout from Comey's self-congratulatory and sanctimonious media tour. What did we learn about the former deep state and FBI director? Also, some uh, allegations against a very prominent newsman. What can we make of that? And Buck made his first appearance on The Late Show. You're going to want to hear those details. Stay with me. This This is The Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters. With actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to The Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Freestyle Friday. Although... Here in New York City, it's like cold, rainy, wet, depressing Friday. So that's not going to slow me down, though. Now I get to hang out with all of you. Best part of my day, favorite part of the day. And uh, we have much to discuss and and talk about here. So uh, thank you for being here. I I, I wanted to uh, get into, well, some of what's going on with with North Korea. Because it it is kind of remarkable. You see these scenes of the North Korean leader Kim Jong-un meeting with... uh, South Korea's President Moon. And, you know, they're, they're talking about some really groundbreaking stuff going on here. Uh, I think we, we got Gordon Chang joining us. Later. Gordon will weigh in with where he thinks this all is going. Because I'm stuck between two things. On the one hand, I look at this and I think to myself, wow, it was never even supposed to get to this point, right? Others haven't gotten to this point. On the other hand, it's be careful. Trust but verify. Ask the necessary questions. Look at this as a dance with the devil, at least in the early stages. You know, you got to be careful on this one. Uh, so I'm I'm caught between those two. But I think we should be very clear that uh, the president understands that dynamic as well as we go forward here. I don't think he's playing. No, I don't think he's playing. And, and, you know, it's never gone like this. It's never gone this far. I don't think it's ever had this enthusiasm for somebody, for them wanting to make a deal. And, yeah, I agree. The United States has been played beautifully like a fiddle uh, because you had a different kind of a leader. We're not going to be played. OK, we're going to hopefully make a deal. If we don't, that's fine. Uh, the United States in the past was played like a fiddle. Money going in and Nobody knew what was happening Uh, the day after an arrangement was made. If you call it a deal, I doubt it. But an arrangement was made. Uh, They start with the nuclear weapons again. That's not happening to us. So, uh, you know, Trump isn't isn't overselling this. He understands that he's dealing with a a cagey opposition on the other side of the table. Um, And, you know, it's going to be a step by step process, to be sure. But when you have. The, the leaders of North and South Korea meeting at the uh, demilitarized zone. You know, it's over six decades that this peninsula has been separated in the North and South by the most heavily militarily fortified zone on the planet. And they were meeting and chatting and hugging and talking and all kinds of stuff. Uh, President uh, Moon Jae-in of South Korea in some pretty 
pretty dramatic imagery uh, walking around with Kim Jong-un and a lot of uh, pomp and ceremony around this stuff. I saw them also, uh, you know, the, there was the digging near the tree that they did together and there was a lot of laughter and chatting. And I'm not saying North Korea couldn't be faking all this. I'm just saying it, it's a little bit of a of a surprise. Oh, and, and in the meantime, just to hedge bets. You know what's interesting I learned recently, by the way, it's a total aside. People always talk about hedge funds, right? The idea being you hedge. But a lot of hedge funds don't really hedge. It's when they take investments on the downside so that they protect the investments or so that if the investments on the upside don't work, it's like a it's a essentially a risk mitigation strategy via investments. Most hedge funds just invest in stuff. A little bit of a change. I don't I don't think many folks knew that. And I just was reading about it this week. I thought it was interesting. Nonetheless, Trump is hedging his strategies uh, right now, or his strategy overall, by saying, look, we're going to keep the pressure on. We seek a future of peace, prosperity, and harmony for the whole Korean peninsula, unlocking not only a brighter future for the people of Korea, but for the people of the world. However, in pursuit of that goal, we will not repeat the mistake of past administrations. Maximum pressure will continue until denuclearization occurs. I look forward to our meeting. It should be quite something. You know, the press was giving Trump a hard a hard time for denuclearization. What does it mean? What do you mean by that? And uh, it's now become increasingly clear that Kim Jong-un and Trump are on the same page with what at least denuclearization means. It means no more nukes. It means what we've all been thinking would be impossible all along is at least what they're talking about. Um, now, is there a scenario, a future scenario where this could just be all a, a ruse intended to get the U.S. to pull troops out of South Korea? South, North Korea hiding its nuclear program in some capacity in the process and then militarily invading South Korea and then saying, you know, bring it. By the way, we've got nukes. What are you going to do, America? Sure. You know, it's a little Tom Clancy novel-esque, I think, but it's possible. In the meantime, I think you also just have to maintain at least the a, a willingness to believe that something could be different here. That doesn't mean to believe it is. It just means a willingness to believe, to look at the facts as they come forward. Uh, so I, I think this is uh, it's tough not to see this as as pretty profound. I mean, you got Lindsey Graham already talking about a Nobel Peace Prize. Okay, so here's the deal. It wouldn't have happened without Trump. It may not happen, but this biggest change since the end of the hostilities, the fact that the North Korean and South Korean president met and they vowed to end the war, what happened? Donald Trump convinced North Korea and China he was serious about bringing about change. We're not there yet, but if this happens, President Trump deserves the Nobel Peace Prize. Nobel Peace Prize. If, by the way, that stuff does happen, which I still say less than 50-50, but if he does manage to pull this off, uh, you will have a president who the so-called smart set eight months ago, and probably even sooner, more recently than that, was worried Trump was going to lead us into nuclear war with his tweets. I went on TV at the time. I definitely remember doing it over on a Kennedy show at Fox Business. I said... You know, may, maybe 
staring down the bully is actually the best way to go here. Maybe that creates the opening for a dialogue between equals instead of a supplicating posture of, oh, please, North Korea, don't be mean to us. We'll do anything you want, right? Trump said, no, you're being a punk. You want to talk like men? We can talk like men, but don't be a punk. I know that for people that have spent decades carrying folders, wearing pinstripes, going into unimportant meetings in Foggy Bottom for the State Department and elsewhere, you know that's that seems just anathema. That seems unthinkable, but... Maybe maybe what's unthinkable is the only thing that would work in this process. Maybe. Big, big ifs here. I understand that. I'm very clear on it, to be sure. And, and I think Trump is as well, as I've been telling you. Um, but there's also... I mean, when was the last time there was any real reason for even... For, for optimism, let's call it. And I, I'm not going to feel sheepish at all if I come back on this show in two weeks or two months and say to you, Kim's playing games, guys. This was all a ruse, whatever. What what do we lose by at least playing it out? What do we lose by seeing what's going on here? The pressure stays on. They're not relieving. They're not doing what Obama did with Iran, which is let them get rich, fat, and happy and hope that the problem just solves itself. Pressure's all staying on. I, I can't remember a time before this when there was any cause for optimism in the negotiations with North Korea. We'll be setting up a meeting very shortly. Hopefully, we're going to have great success. We'll see what happens, but hopefully, we're going to have great success. So, uh, President Moon and I are speaking, and uh, we're speaking very much with South Korea and with North Korea. Uh, The relationships are building and building strongly, and uh, this will be a great thing for the world. This will be a great thing for Germany, but this will be a great thing for the world. Yep, we'll see. We'll need our allies on board for this one. Uh, I also would note that there's a lot of stuff going on here at home that I'd like us to focus on, too. I, I think that the, the press is just, as a, as a general rule, much more fascinated with foreign policy than I think most Americans are. Um, for a whole, I think that there's a, a bias in the media toward thinking that foreign policy is inherently more interesting than it is. The people talking about it feel, and look, I, I, this is self-referential too, right? You feel more important. Oh, matters of statecraft and international stability and all this stuff. You know, you want to know what's going on, but it's very unlikely that any of this is going to uh, going to affect anyone's day-to-day life in the near term, at least. I, I, but I just got to know this one thing, and then we'll uh, we'll uh, start. We'll talk about the Comey, the more of the Comey stuff coming up here, and. And as I, as I promised at the start of the show, I'll also tell you about my first appearance on The Late Show. It did happen. I wasn't a, I wasn't a guest on The Late Show. I'm not, say, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I appeared on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert last night. Uh, so if, you, you're going to have to stay around for that one. Uh, but I just had to note this. This is from CNN. Um, meet Kim Jong-un's sister. Widely seen as instrumental in making the summit happen. That's right. The summit that just occurred between the North and South Korean leaders, uh, CNN, they're giving credit to Kim Jong-un's sister. Uh, Not a lot of credit, you'll notice, to Trump. And if they're going to talk about Trump's role in this, it's just to say, oh, he's walking into a trap. This is so risky. He's already been he's already been swindled. But North Korea's head of propaganda, which is what she is, she's literally their head of propaganda. She gets a little high five and some props from uh, 
the propaganda minister gets props from CNN. See how he did that? Wordplay. That's what we excel at here in the Freedom Hut. By the way, I, I had this uh, idea that we would expand out what is known as Action Movie Quote Friday to, I think we're going to call it Awesome Movie Quote Friday. Today is my last, I, I'm, for now at least, not forever, we're not retiring it, but for a little while, I think we're going to do the last Action Movie Quote Friday today because going forward it's going to just be Awesome Movie Quote Friday. You can try to give me a truly great, epic, timeless movie quote on air and see if I can name the movie or not. But uh, for today, I wanted to just give us one more action movie quote Friday. Action. Get to the chopper! Movie. People keep asking if I'm back, and I haven't really had an answer. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. Quote. You have the right to be dead. Fridays. Action ah! movie quote Fridays. I know Kung Fu. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. It's Friday. Let's chat. Call me. Tell me what you want to what you want to discuss or if you get the action movie quote or if you if you happen to be somebody who saw the late show appearance and have some thoughts on that one because that'll be fun. And maybe 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 also I'll take recommendations for my next cooking segment. All right, all right. Uh, stay with me. I had a feeling this was going to happen. I know it's easy to say that now, but, you know, you had the Roseanne reboot, which is not as doing as well now that it's been on the air for a few weeks as the initial. I think there was a lot of curiosity when it started, and then it kind of faded faded out a little bit, or the curiosity died down, I should say. It's still The show still has good ratings, but I, I don't think this is going to be some cultural blockbuster. I was thinking, you know... Liberals can't really handle the Trump presidency. You know, they need safe spaces and and tissue boxes for the tears and all that stuff. It kind of reminds me during the Bush years. How there was that show, The West Wing. Which was just a straight up alternative presidency for liberals. You got to tune in, forget about an actual White House press conference. You got to see an idealized and stylized Democrat administration that was always in the right was just besting the right on the t- all the time. You know, I would see the they would occasionally have a character make a conservative argument, and then always the lib- the liberal would just always win. Right? It was like CNN. Uh, the the liberal always gets to win no matter what the argument is. Even if they're losing, they win. They cut the mic. They yell over them. Whatever it may be. Uh, but they're going to I think they're going to bring back Aaron Sorkin is going to come back and they're going to do the West Wing now. It all makes perfect sense because liberals can't handle this presidency. They don't like seeing Trump giving State of the Union addresses. They don't like the fact that his tweets set the news cycle day in and day out. So they're going to create they're going to go back to living in this world of, of an alternative presidency. And they're going to use. Pop culture, in a sense, uh, they're going to use Hollywood to create the ultimate safe space for liberals, which is a show that obviously isn't the presidency, but shows you the presidency you could have if you voted for a Democrat, and it'll make people feel better. They're just saying today, this was look, it was reported in the Radio Times. I, I don't know if that's 
is that a credible source, Brandon? <laughs> Brandon just gave me a look like I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, uh, radio. I'll go with Radio Times. I read it on the internet, so it must be true. But I can believe it based on the other factors at play. Uh, I can believe it because of that. I can also believe that CNN right now is running a Stormy Daniels lawyer response to 90-day stay in case. They, this guy, they're, they're making this guy Michael Avenatti, who is the Stormy Daniels lawyer, a, a pundit. He, he's actually getting airtime like he's a, a host of a show. And I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of this he becomes one of their senior legal analysts. Just like how we see Brennan and Clapper, they're now Democrat talking heads too. Former uh, DNI, former director of national intelligence, former CIA director. Uh, we'll, we'll get into some of that later on. But we got some time to talk about, uh, about Comey for sure. But I, I want to bring in our friend Gordon Chang, who uh, knows obviously a tremendous amount about what's going on with North Korea and with China. And uh, he's written a great book on North Korea. We'll talk to him about what he thinks this all means. And I've I've seen some calls. Producer Mike, what people have wanted to talk to me, but not a, they wanted action movie quotes, or were we in the middle of serious stuff? No, what do we got going on? They just they wanted to say they love the show and it's amazing. Okay, or I'll take that too. Point taken. And we have Gordon Chang coming. And we got Gordon Chang coming, so we got the guests. Right, fair enough. Because I saw I saw you answering the phones there. I was like, oh, all right, clearly. They just want to tell me, high five, Buck. Stay strong. Keep that shield high. I need to speak more clearly. A fair number of people, they, they ask me, they say, well, at the end of the show, what do you say? She's I? She's I. No, shields high. I try to say it as clearly as I can. I try to enunciate here on the radio because you can't see my face. It actually does make it harder to understand somebody when you can't see their face. It's true. Well, with radio, you have to... Really learn to just be audio expressive. I don't even know if that's a term. I might have just made it up. Uh, but there you have it. Interesting. Stormy Dan. Right now you got they got the perfect separation. Stormy Daniels, lawyer on CNN, and uh, and then on Fox they're actually covering like the White House visit and what happened this week. What what a surprise that CNN wants to talk about Stormy Daniels. We got Gordon Chang though. Important stuff. We'll come back with him, and then I'll give you my thoughts on the ongoing, slow-moving train wreck that is the Sanctacomi Media Tour. Stay with me. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Welcome back, everyone. We've got our friend Gordon Chang with us now to talk about North Korea. Gordon is a Daily Beast columnist and also author of Showdown, North Korea Takes on the World. Gordon, great to have you back. Thank you so much, Buck. So, Gordon, please just tell us first about the significance of this meeting between President Moon and Kim Jong-un. Well, it is the first of the three inter-Korean summits where the North Korean leader has actually gone to South Korea. Kim Jong-un today walked across the military demarcation line at Tanmunjong, the truce village, and the meetings were held on the south side of that line. Um, the, the importance here is that the North Korean and the South Korean leaders both want unification of the two Koreas. And as a preliminary step, they're talking about turning the armistice that ended the fighting in the Korean War into a formal peace treaty. 
This is important because from Kim Jong-un's point of view, if he can have and have the appearance of peace, he can then convince South Korea to break its military alliance with the United States, get our 28,500 troops off the peninsula, and then he would be free to actually uh, intimidate South Korea into submission. Um, in, in Moon Jae-in, the South Korean president, he has a willing partner um, for much of this. And we've got to be really concerned about this because Moon has been trying to amend the South Korean constitution to make it more compatible with North Korea's. Gordon, it sounds like you don't, you know, tr- Trump is already talking about how he's, you know, he's going to be cautious. The pressure is going to stay on. But you don't even sound cautiously optimistic. You sound to me like you think this is this is almost almost certainly a scam. Well, I think that the two Korean leaders are trying to drive events in a direction we don't like. But the United States has overwhelming leverage over Moon. And also, um, most South Koreans um, are somewhat skeptical of what their president is trying to do. So I think that essentially we have a lot of events occurring. Many are dramatic. They're uh, happening one right after the other, which means that uh, Kim, Moon, Trump, and Xi Jinping of China could be swept along by momentum. This is absolutely fascinating. But we do have a pathway to peace. We do have a pathway to disarmament. And so, therefore, there's a lot of things that could go right, Buck. But also, as you suggest, um, there's a lot of things that could go wrong. So if you're looking at the the positives right now, for people who are going to say Trump has gotten to this point and that is significant because, what, what are they? I mean, you got this meeting, but also the clarity on the point about denuclearization, the Pompeo meeting with Kim Jong-un. I mean, what do you see as, as significant, not as determinative, but as significant up to this point when it comes to this process with North Korea? Yeah, there are two things that I, I think are significant. First of all, Kim, in order to create the appearance of peace, has said that he's committed to denuclearization. Now, of course, he's lying through his teeth. He doesn't want to give up his most destructive weapons, but he has created markers against which he will be judged. Also, it's pretty clear that Kim is coming to talk to uh, President Trump and also that he had this summit with Moon because he needs sanctions relief. Trump has actually um, enforced sanctions. Um, He's put on new ones. He's worked through the U.N. He's got unilateral U.S. coercive measures. And I think that is forcing Kim to try to come to terms to the international community. So there's a lot of leverage that we have over Kim as well as over Moon. And I think that this is uh, basically an issue not of what Kim wants to do. We, We know what that is. But it's an issue of whether Trump will use the elements of American power to disarm North Korea. How aligned in this process, Gordon, do you think uh, the South Korean president, Moon, and and our president and the administration are on what this whole process with North Korea is really supposed to look like and what's supposed to happen? We're aligned on some things and not on others, or certain things that Moon wants to do are are somewhat irrelevant. Um, Moon has said that he is in favor and has been pushing Kim toward denuclearization. That's certainly what we want. Uh, uh, Unfortunately, um, maybe Moon is willing to give Kim all sorts of sanctions relief before Kim actually gives up his weapons. And Moon might actually work on Trump to give them that interim relief, which I think would be a pretty bad idea. 
So we got to see how all of this plays out. But we do know that that Moon is a Korean nationalist. He is doing things which um, I think undermine South Korea's democracy. And many people in South Korea are concerned about their president. Um, And this is something that we're going to just have to wait and, and work to box Moon in to prevent Moon from doing what he wants to do. What are, what are some of those concerning, I mean, I think for, for folks, Gordon, who are just you know reading the newspaper and following this among many other issues, I mean, look, my, myself included, I would want to know, what are some of the troubling signs that we get from what the South Korean president wants, and just in, internally? Well, the South Korean president uh, has been talking about unification of the two Koreas into a loose sort of confederation. That has long been a goal of the Kim family because they see that as an interim step to actually taking over the South. So Moon's fully on board of that. Uh, You know, we saw that from any number of different signs. So, for instance, the lecterns where you saw Kim and Moon had an image of a unified Korea on the front. Also, the desserts at the meal that they had um, had uh, the blue and white Korean unification flags, which shows a unified Korea. So this is what Moon wants to do. I think that this is premature because you need to have real enduring peace before you can have any sort of unification. I think Moon wants to accelerate that process. And that, of course, is going to be troubling for us because our primary goal right now is to make sure that Kim doesn't have ballistic missiles and nuclear weapons that Kim gives up the the abductees that he's taken or his parents have taken. So, you know, this is just something that um, is important for us. Um, and I'm not so sure that these things are that important to Moon. We're speaking to Gordon Chang, who is a Daily Beast columnist and author of Showdown, North Korea Takes on the World. Gordon, if you were sitting down with Trump right now and trying to advise him and his team about how to approach this upcoming summit with Kim Jong-un, you know, what markers should be put in place or what, what framework uh, they should have for these discussions so they don't get bamboozled, what would you give them? What, what's, the, what's the outline? The most important thing is what the president has already said, um, and that is uh, don't re- give sanctions relief for Kim until he makes concrete and significant steps to giving up his weapons. Um, so it should be Kim moving first to disarm, and then after that we can give him a lot. Um, but it's got to be a, a phase where Kim actually honors his promises before he's rewarded. And just because uh, we've got you in line, Gordon, I want to know what, what you think about where, where's China standing in all this? What are they hoping will happen here? And how do you think they might be trying to influence things with the Korean Peninsula from behind the scenes? Well, China right now is on the sidelines, on the outside looking in. One of the good reasons for accepting Kim's offer of direct talks, which President Trump did on March 8th, was that it puts the Chinese outside of the process. Um, The Chinese, I think, um, certainly want to make Kim um, sort of consider Chinese interests before he considers his own. And that's why he summoned Kim to Beijing at the end of last month. Um, That's why Xi Jinping quickly offered uh, to go to Pyongyang in June. Um, The Chinese, I think, are are a little bit panicked right now that there's a process going on without much of their participation. Gordon Chang, everybody, author of Showdown, North Korea Takes on the World. Gordon, thank you so much for joining us. We always appreciate it. Thanks, Buck. Uh, So I got to talk to you guys about what's going on the latest with uh, with with Comey, uh, with uh, Sank to Comey. There's there's definitely going to be some big 
some big uh, revelations in the weeks and months ahead, I think, about how deep the deep state really went. We've already seen enough to know that there's a big problem. But when you start to look at Comey, Clapper, Brennan, something's going on here. And I think we're getting we're getting an inclination as to or something was going on as to what that might be. Um, and uh, we've got a lot more coming your way. So stay right there, team. Be right back. I know I promised you guys Comey, and we will get to we'll get to Comey. Do we do we have my favorite clip of the day though? This is look. I I, I got to give you guys a, a content warning on this one. Okay, this one's rough. This is not. This is not. This is not feel good Friday material. Uh, it is. It is amusing, to be sure. But uh, on the show, so of course we're going to talk about it on the show. Let's make a deal. The country got a a view into what some of us know as the friend zone, and if you've ever been a guy. I'm sure it happens to girls too, but have you ever been a guy who really thought that you were making headway and that, you know, your your lady love was just, it, any day now she was going to see the light? And she likes hanging out with you. She likes being your friend. She likes being around you and everything else. But you think it's turning into something else and she doesn't. Then you have, in fact, been placed in that demoralizing limbo known as the friend zone. And today on Let's Make a Deal with, uh, who's the host? I forget who the host. Thank you, Wayne Brady. Today on Let's Make a Deal, a guy got put in the friend zone with with more gusto. It was a a remorseless friend zoning. I've never seen a friend zoning quite as harsh as this. So just, I want you to be prepared for that because I know it's Friday. We're all going off the weekend. It's a rough, it's a rough deal for this guy on this game show on national television. Play it. Now, how long have you guys been together? <laughs> uh, about six months. That's it. It's new. Oh, it's newish. We're mm. friends. <laughs> We're just friends. Can what we, do you want to do? Can we talk about this uh, not in front of everyone? Jesse? <laughs> <laughs> I'm single. It's complicated. I'm single, guys. I'm single. What? Good friends. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh man. I could feel that guy's mojo getting crumpled up like a little paper cup in real time. Like what what whatever 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 he thinks his his game is, whatever he thinks his uh, ability to woo women, it was taking a beating there in real TV uh, or in real time on TV. I mean, she was particularly, I mean, producer Mike, it, it was, on, she, not only was she laughing when he said it, but on top of that, she turns to the camera and goes, I'm single guy. Like it's almost, I mean, maybe this is a, maybe it's some kind of a gag or something, but he looked, if it's a gag, he looked very uncomfortable. He's a very talented actor. She like broke out the happy dance. She was like dying saying it, but she was like dancing while she was saying it. She was like, oh, I'm single gentleman who wants to party. Yeehaw, you know? And he's like, oh, no, we need to, we need to work this out, you know? We're just talking. Uh, excuse me there, uh, Jesse. Uh, we are uh, 
on TV. Why don't we take this outside and have a different kind of discussion then? She's like, oh, no. Here's my number, everyone. You know, it was, it was really, it was rough, man. It was rough. I, I felt for, what was it? Her name was Jesse. His name was, I don't know what it was. I got to find it here. Steve. You know what, though? Steve should have just turned around to her on TV and been like, you know what? Your face. That's all, need, that's all you need to say. You can win any argument. Your face. Have you? I've told, that's, that's actually comes from a friend of mine named Steve from a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, you think I'm losing this argument? Your face. So uh, this is a diversion from Comey and the dossier and everything. It, it is Friday, though, folks, so I give myself some, some leeway with those things. Um, but I guess I'll spend some time on this now. Uh, I'll spend some time on this now. And uh, let's start with what uh, Trump had to say. So, so I'm leaving behind the friend zone. You all know what it is. That was the harshest friend zoning I've ever seen in real time. And I've seen them happen in real life. Have I ever personally been friend zoned? A fr- friend zoned? Can neither confirm nor deny. That goes in the vault. The friend zone's a rough place to be. Now let's completely switch gears. Let's get into uh, what Trump has to say about Comey, because that'll be fun. That'll be fun, too. Comey is a leaker and he's a liar. And not only on this stuff, uh, he's been leaking for years. He's probably been using his friend, the so-called professor, who now turns out to have FBI clearance, which he never said. He even lied about that because he never said that in Congress. He said he gave it to a friend. And he gave it to a friend to leak classified information. It's all classified. It was totally classified. So he illegally, he did an illegal act. And he said it himself in order to get a special counsel against me. Reaction to that. He's just wrong. Facts really do matter. That's a false statement. Yeah, I, you know, we heard this yesterday a little bit, and, and you had the, the interview with Brett Bear. By the way, Brett Bear did a phenomenal job. And, you know, I said that Cooper did a good job, too. So I'm not just saying it because I like Brett and I like Fox. Um, I thought I thought Brett did a really powerful job of getting more than what we already knew, right? You see so many of these interviews, and it's just the same thing, the same routine. Oh, we're going to ask the same basic questions, and Comey can just go into his unctuous, lawyerly mode there. Uh, but Brett busted out the glasses if you watch the interview, and, like, it was game time, and he, and, and he knew it, and he, he took him to task. Uh, but he pushed him more on these answers, and, and I want to get into why I think we know for sure that there will be as I alluded to before the break, there'll be revelations about Comey and Clapper and Brennan's role in all this stuff that are just mind-blowing to folks. Uh, there will be, th- there's going to be a reckoning. Not for the Trump administration, which I think is what so many people have been planning on, trying to make that come about. Uh, the reckoning is going to be for, in my, in my estimation, it's going to be for some of these deep state individuals because they're not going to be able to continue to just run out the clock. We're getting more information. We're figuring out more about what's true and what's not. And it looks it keeps looking worse and worse in time uh, for them as we get more information. And now they've switched to this obstruction mode. You see, they think that they'll be able to get Trump or one of his guys on obstruction. Meanwhile, we're starting to see. Hold on a second. So you're trying to now, basically the Mueller probe is all about process crimes for Trump or any of his people, but on the 
deep state side of things, we're seeing McCabe lying under oath multiple times, according to the Inspector General of the FBI. We're seeing all kinds of shady stuff from Comey, including deciding on his own that documents aren't government property that clearly are, and some of them were clearly classified as well. So this is heading for some kind of... uh, Oh, well, like I said, like a, a, a reckoning. A little more on Comey, and then I've got uh, to tell you about my appearance on The Late Show. So stay right there. G4 Tequila is the... Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make, make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now... Ah, yes, Hour 2 of the Buck Sexton Show is here, and I uh, want to talk to you more about what's going on with Sancticomi, as I call him, who is still out there on the tour. We were able to play for you last night some of the, uh, uh, some of the interview with Brett Baer, where Comey was being evasive, he was being shady. He was being weird, uh, no doubt about it. There was something that was uh, off in his presentation of the facts. And for a guy who, well, actually, you know, Trey Gowdy had, had a great line on Comey. So Gowdy's finding himself back in, in my good graces once again. Here's what he had to say. Comey said, I don't do sneaky things, I don't leak, and I don't do weasel things. And then his definition of leak is to disseminate classified information. Okay, that's actually a crime. For him to say, I don't leak, while I am memorializing and then leaking private conversations with the President of the United States, um, you know, the thing with Comey is he is the hero in every story he tells. He's the hero. Um, and, and, and he has what strikes me as a double standard. Um, if this person lies, he wants him to be president of the United States. If Andy McCabe lies, he's still a stand-up guy. But he thinks if President Trump lies, he should be impeached. And that's relativism. It's antithetical to morals. I, I would just note that uh, that point about how Comey is the hero in in every story, uh, that is a very important observation to make. You know, Comey's always, you know, I was just trying to be the most ethical and fantastic guy and the one person who couldn't be bought and wasn't influenced by outside political considerations. And, you know, that, that that's just the way I approach everything. That's just how I do things. And he kind of has it like it's really it is so sanctimonious, the whole thing. And you sit there, you think to yourself, wow, um, when do I. When do I get to hear Comey actually admit that there were some mistakes made here, or that something went wrong? Well, he, he was willing to throw, because their text messages have come out, and they were out last night. I think they just hit after the show. Uh, CNN and Fox got copies of them after we were on air. They show they don't like Trump. We already knew that. Mike, is there anything particularly earth-shattering in those text messages? No, right? With, with Page and Strzok, it's just more of what we've kind of... But, you know, he was asked about this. Would you have taken action as FBI director? Here's what he said. About the controversial text messages, we just received a lot more up on Capitol Hill today. If you knew 
back then when you were in charge of the investigation and you saw those texts between Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, the level of animus they had against President Trump, what would you have done? I'd have removed both of them from any contact with significant investigations. So shouldn't their work... Including, from- including those involving anybody connected to President Trump, but beyond that. Because so it's just such poor work- judgment. Poor judgment. You know, another way of saying this is that there were people working against Trump in the FBI doing bad things. So we're not imagining this, right? Comey is, for all of his flaws and faults and other lies, Comey is, in fact, admitting here that there was a problem. That there was a problem in the FBI. He doesn't think he was the problem, but there there were people who weren't impartial observers in this whole process. There were people who were not playing this thing straight up. I don't know how you can see it as anything other than that, right? He's saying, I I would have removed them. So that's a, I think that's important for us to remember. We are not, my friends, you and I, we're not imagining all this stuff that we're finding out. And we're not imagining that it's really bad, that it looks bad for the FBI and that there was something rotten. This is not just some counter-narrative dreamed up by the Trumpists, this isn't just people that want to believe the best things they can possibly about the administration who won't face reality or any of that other stuff. There was something rotten in the state of the DOJ and the FBI, and we're finding out more. To that end, on the dossier, you would think that if the dossier was going to be included in any kind of national security surveillance request, which is exactly what happened, you would think that the dossier uh, would be very, very thoroughly vetted. And everyone would know exactly what's going into it or what went into it before they were presented to a FISA court, all the FBI folks. This was one of the most noteworthy exchange between Comey and Bear. When did you learn that the DNC and Hillary Clinton campaign had funded Christopher Steele's work? Yeah, I still don't know that for a fact. What do you mean? I've only seen it in the media. I never knew exactly which Democrats had funded. I knew it was funded first by Republicans. opposed that's to Donald. that's not true. I'm sorry? That's not true. That the dossier that Christopher Steele worked on was funded by Republicans? Yeah, my understanding was his work started funded by, Oppo, as Oppo Research, funded by Republicans. He goes on and, and Bear takes him a task. No, that is not what happened. Fusion GPS was on retainer paid for by the Washington Free Beacon. But the whole dossier, right, this would be like saying, let's say you had a lawyer and the lawyer was representing uh, was representing. One person on a. I, I don't know, on a fraud charge and then representing another person on a murder charge. Right? Those are two separate things. They, they were they're paid for separate entities to pay Fusion GPS to do oppo research on Hillary is a completely separate endeavor from then the DNC coming along and paying them to do this whole dossier thing. It's just not it's just not the same. Uh, and yet there's this conflation. I think it's a it's a an attempt. A purposeful attempt to try to bring these things together so that we can't separate them out. Um, he was also asked whether he actually had any part in uh, leaking the dossier to CNN. 
Lieutenant. Uh, CNN reported at the time that you handed a two-page executive summary of the dossier over to him. I did not. Did not. Uh, speaking of CNN, you write in the memos of that meeting, you write, I said to President-elect Trump, media like CNN had the dossier and were looking for a news hook. I said it was inflammatory stuff. So the story of that briefing leaks out almost immediately after you do it. CNN and others run the story of this unverified dossier. Did, did you or your subordinates leak that? No. Did James Clapper? No, not to my knowledge. No. John, John Brennan? I, I don't know who leaked it. I had no part in any leaking of it. It was. Someone had a part in leaking it. Someone was in, involved in it. And you see how this whole thing worked, right? You, you, you have to brief Trump on this so then the media can run it as a story because nobody could verify it. And then BuzzFeed gets to run it, which is what they did. They had to come up with some rationale, some justification to have it out there. I have not been taking much in the way of, of calls. I apologize for that. John in Gulfport, Mississippi. How you doing, friend? This is a Russian space station. Action movie quote Friday. Uh, that's from movie. Armageddon. I asked, I asked my boss, give me action movie quote. He said, this is a Russian space station. Yeah, it's from Armageddon. Okay, you got it. Ding, 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 ding. Bang. I got it. Uh, Yeehaw. Uh, Thank uh, you, sir. That, that's what you got? All right, I'll take it. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Appreciate you calling with the actual movie quotes. See, there we go. One for one. You know what? I'll take, I'll take my winnings off the table right now. Because uh, in a moment here, we got to get to uh, our one of our wonderful sponsors. Um, but wait, there was one more thing I wanted to. Oh, yeah. Comey on McCabe, who's been now said to be lying in a few instances here. This is what Comey said about that. After your handpicked deputy, uh, Andrew McCabe, was fired, you tweeted this. You said, Special Agent McCabe stood tall over the last eight months when small people were trying to tear down an institution we all depend on. He served with distinction for two decades. I wish Andy well. I also wish continued strength for the rest of the FBI. America needs you. You know, the inspector general found that McCabe lied four times, three of them under oath. Uh, Kimberly Strassel from the Wall Street Journal tweeted a lot of possible questions for you, but here's one. Please discuss Andrew McCabe in the IG report that finds he lied repeatedly both to you and about you. Do you still believe he stood tall, as you tweeted in January, or is he one of the small people helping to tear down an institution? Yeah, I still believe he stood tall. He represented himself under and the organization under tremendous stress during that period after I was fired. Yeah. That's not surprising, is it? That Comey, even under the circumstances of McCabe possibly facing criminal charges for lying about leaks to the press, the same McCabe who called the FBI in New York City to yell at them for a leak that he did. So he's yelling at others for a leak he did, knowing knowing that the whole time. But Comey thinks he stood tall. It's almost like Comey's moral compass is a bit off. Like there are some problems there. So uh, that's just something I think we need to uh, keep in mind as we go forward. Um, I want to get to our sponsor this half hour, which is Global Verification Network. Look, the information that you have whenever it comes to hiring somebody, working with someone, bringing in a new client is absolutely essential. You need people you can trust who are responsive and who are absolutely experts in the risk mitigation business. That's where Global Verification Network comes in. They're federally certified as a veteran-owned small business, and they are headquartered here in Chicago. A lot of the people in this space, they send your information overseas. They'll outsource the background investigation work. None of that happens with Global Verification. They are dual-certified, veteran-owned, all based here in the States. No information is ever sent overseas. Check them out for yourself and see. Whether you're a startup all the way up to a Fortune 100 company, 
877-695-1179 or go to mygvn.com. That's mygvn.com, Global Verification Network. We need a reciprocal relationship, which we don't have. Uh, The United States right now has a trade deficit with the European Union of $151 billion. And the chancellor and I have discussed it today at length, and we're working on it, and we want to make it more fair, and the chancellor wants to make it more fair. Same thing with NATO. We have a far greater burden than we should have. Other countries should be paying more. And I'm not saying Germany alone. Other countries should be paying more. I mean, we're protecting Europe, and yet we pay by far more than anybody else. And NATO is wonderful, but it helps Europe more than it helps us. And why are we paying a vast majority of the costs. So we're working on those things. It's been unfair. And I don't blame the chancellor, and I don't blame Germany. I don't even blame the European Union. I blame the people that preceded me for allowing this to happen. President Trump meeting with his not favorite head of state today, uh, Angela Merkel of Germany. You know, with Macron, there's kind of a like, there's there's a comradeship. There, there's a broness between Trump and Macron that comes along. Maybe it's because Macron wears nice suits. He's kind of a slick operator. With Merkel, you know, it's much more like, oh, like this was on sale at Antela Loft. Yeah, you know, it's not. She's just not one of Trump's people. I don't, I don't know what else to say. She's not really on. She's not part of Trump squad. That much is for sure. But they were talking about the, the differences between the U.S. and Germany on policy. What's interesting here is. You know, Germany is the economic powerhouse within the EU, um, but I think that politically it has been really weakened because of the, uh, well, what we've seen, what's happened as a result of bringing in a million refugees. And there was a, a I remember seeing someone writing, I forget who, it might have been Ross Douthat at the New York Times, that Angela Merkel in 2016 was uh, European nationalism's woman of the year. She's had a rough go with that kind of stuff. But she uh, she was trying to, you know, build some fences with Trump. She's trying to have a little bit of, of constructive chat with him. The president uh, is um, saying you ought to have some more burden sharing. So in a way, we're maturing. We're, we're growing out of a role where after the Second World War, people were rather happy for Germany not becoming too engaged, not uh, too active, because during the period of National Socialism, we created such incredible injustice in the world. And uh, But this post-war period is at an end. It's more than this post-war period is, is um, well, that, that's essentially 70 years ago. So we as Germans have to learn to um, assume more responsibility. Does Merkel not speak English? Uh, you don't know. I mean, that. Okay, yeah, she can. I'm just checking this here. Uh, so why does she. Just, I wanted. I'm just going to tell you this right now. I assume because we had the, the cut here on the sheet. We were to get, you know, I met with the John, Donald Trump today. He's very tall of stature. He has. He has quite a mane of blonde hair. He swoops it to the side. Um, instead, we got like interpreter lady doing the thing here. I- I'm sorry. I don't think you get to be the chancellor of Germany. By the way, I think they should, you know, the whole chancellor thing. I just always think of the, isn't it the chancellor is the, the main bad guy in Star Wars, which is based on World War II, by the way. Although they use British guys instead of German guys to be the bad accents because you know, we love British accents, but we also have a little bit of an inferiority complex with them. 
So this is why when you're watching the movie The Patriot with Mel Gibson, you're like, yeah, get those guys with those fancy accents that are like, oh, a bunch of peasant farmers. You're like, I'll get you. Uh, but but Merkel, yeah, it doesn't. It's right. It's Chancellor, Chancellor Palpatine is the guy's name. Like the Force. Uh, Chancellor Palpatine and Soros sound the same. The Force is with you. Or not. The Force is bad. I don't like it. I've paid so much money to nonprofits to get rid of the force. It has been very expensive. The Open Society Foundation. Chancellor Palpatine loves it. Is, am I, I'm right about Palpatine, right? Yeah, Chancellor. And Chancellor's a university title, which I feel like they should get rid of too because it sounds like all hail the Chancellor. Anyway, why it should just be President Merkel is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, guten tag. So she didn't speak English. It was kind of a disappointment there. But she's kind of also saying, yeah, Germany will step up. I'm not saying there's an implied threat there, but she's like, you know, we used to make the scariest war machines on the planet, so be careful what you wish for. You know, she's kind of saying, all right, you want us to pick up more of the NATO budget? I, I guess we can make that. I guess we can make that happen. Um, and uh, you know, Trump is speaking more about trade, which he's isn't interesting. He's such a he's such a um, counter narrative on the on trade. When you really step back for a moment, think about it. The consensus opinion on our trade agreements is actually counterintuitive, which is that, one, whatever the trade agreements are now, those are the best agreements. We shouldn't touch them. They're working great. They couldn't be made better. When has the government ever done something? Because remember, these are agreements between governments that lubricate commerce. When has the government ever done something that you think to yourself, yeah, yeah, that's they've got that one nailed, nailed tight. No problems there. And then also that the agreements are the are, are, are of maximum benefit to the United States and that any tinkering with them is inherently going to be a bad thing. I just don't think that that's that isn't that isn't a reasonable position when you really think about it. But that's what everyone says. Free trade, free trade, free trade. That's theoretically true, but there's no such thing as entirely free trade between nations when you have some nations that are cheating, some nations that have tariffs, some. So why do we get lulled into this sense that there's not even a conversation, not even a conversation to be had here? Um, by the way, Trump talked more about this. Also vital to our security and that of our allies is America's ability to maintain a strong and robust manufacturing base, which we really are doing in the United States. We have additional steel plants opening. Steel plants are expanding. Aluminum is doing great. A lot of things are happening that were never going to happen before. That's why we must have a fair and reciprocal trading relationship with our friends and partners. That all seems quite reasonable to me. And, you know, I I was willing to give Trump, and you all know this because I thought this through on the air with you and didn't just go with, oh, I read all these think tank papers that told me. And we had, uh, you know, Derek Scissors, who's a trade expert on from AEI, who takes a slightly um, contrarian view of the conventional wisdom on this one. And he, he that guy lives, eats, sleeps, breathes trade agreements. He knows them backwards and forwards. But the same way that Trump was telling us things, was telling us truths on immigration that other people were unwilling to speak about. Just even get that conversation started. I, I, because I saw that happen and because I know that's real, I was also willing to say maybe we should give Trump a little more of 
the uh, a little more credit here to to play out what he thinks is necessary in trade agreements. So we'll see. With Germany, I don't think much is going to change, but interesting nonetheless. By the way, my my debut on the Late Show. When did it happen? How did it happen? It did happen. You stay through the break. I'll tell you how. I have exciting news for all of you. Well, actually, I think next week I'll have even more exciting news, but I've got kind of fun news. How about that? We'll put it in slightly different terms here. Yours truly made his first appearance on, I wanted to call it the Colbert Report, but that's actually not the show anymore, right? It's the Stephen Colbert Show, because now he's serious. Oh, it's The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Right. I See, I don't watch these. Used to be uh, Letterman, right? Yeah. And the other guy, Kimmel used to be Leno. This one used to be Letterman. Okay. So basically, I had my first appearance on what is, for all intents and purposes, the platform formerly known as the David Letterman Show. That's right. And you may be like, Buck, why didn't you tell us about this? Why weren't you, you know, screaming this from the rooftop? I just found out now. About my appearance. That's right. I, me, Buck Sexton, I made an appearance on the uh, the Late Show, uh, a staple of late night television for decades. You know, this is something that a lot a lot of people look forward to this their whole careers. And I'm just gonna tell you, I just kind of take it in stride. You know why? Because technically, it was just my hands that made the appearance on the show. Literally, only my hands. If it had been my head, by the way, that would have made an impression. They would have seen this mane of hair. Would have been a game changer. But it was just my hands that much of America saw. And no size jokes about hands, folks. We leave that to, to people that are talking about other stuff, okay? Trump and all the rest of them with the jokes. And was it Rubio with the small hand? Right? Yeah. We're not making hand jokes here like that, all right? Come on, everyone. Keep it clean. But my hands did, in fact, appear on the Late Show. And we have some sound for you to prove it. My first ever. Uh, credit of being on late night uh, syndicated television play. Fox and Friends had to rush the leader of the free world off the phone to get to their actual next news segment, Buck's Famous Scrambled Eggs. <laughs> the secret ingredient is changing the subject. There you go, folks. See, I told you. Producer Mike, that's pretty cool, right? I mean, Buck got a shout out. My scrambled eggs are now legitimately famous. Like, this is the thing now. I mean, you should make some eggs and send them over to the Late Show for the I, staff. I absolutely want to. I, I should send them some scrambled You know, I'll finish them this time around, and I'll make those scrambled eggs for them. But, by the way, hat tip for Brandon for catching this. You must have been like, wow, my boy Buck hitting the big time now, or at least his hands. Maybe I could be a hand model. Uh, I I thought that was I I, mean, I thought it was fun. I'll be honest with you. I was like, wow, there we have it. By the way, it's the but I'm just gonna say now it, it's a comedy show, so they would say, oh whatever. I wasn't on right after. That's a that's a lie. You see, this is what they do, and you know I'm not trying to be a a bad sport about this. Trump's phone call because I was there in the green room the whole time. Trump's phone call ended at the bottom of the hour, which is uh, TV speak for. 830 or maybe that's just speak for 830. I guess people know what that is. Um, but Trump ended his phone call maybe at 830 a.m. I came on at 850 and had exactly two minutes. There were a whole bunch. I can't remember what they were right now off the top of my head. But there were other segments, other segments out there uh, that were on in between us. So it's just not. But see, they're they're making a joke, which I can appreciate. And that's fine. 
but they're but they're also being serious at the same time, right? They're all not about me. I mean, my eggs are amazing, and they were. Everyone could tell that when those scrambled eggs were finally formed, those were going to be among the most amazing scrambled eggs any human being had ever tasted. Uh, but the point they were making is about Fox, and they're saying that they wanted to end. First of all, they loved the rant on Fox News. I mean, we played it on the air yesterday. He was both barrels taking it to the deep state, going after it. And, you know, then they had a couple other segments, but it's a morning show. But you see, they only do this, they only will do this to conservatives. You know, you would never have, I, I was going to say Matt Lauer, and not because of, and we're going to talk about some of the Me Too stuff at latest later on in the show. But, you know, you'd never have like one of those big morning show guys who's also a news anchor getting mocked for, you know, at, at 8.30 interviewing a head of state and at 9 a.m. making a chocolate souffle on set. And I'm not trying to be oversensitive about this because I do have fun with the fact that I made my first appearance on the uh, on the Colbert rapport, also known. As, I know the late show, whatever, whatever they're calling it now. But this is a deference that they they uh, they don't extend to conservatives. Right. We're not allowed to have fun and, and relax and be political people. We get hammered. Right. We, we are always a target for for ridicule and mockery. You know, I remember a long time ago, actually, I did Red Eye and The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. And I had I was on the show when they were responding to it. It was from the night before. But uh, Greg Gutfeld, to his credit, did a whole segment on what he viewed as the hyperbolic outrage in response to people to the photo of. Obama putting his feet up on the desk and people were just like, oh, my gosh, it was like the shoe apocalypse, right? Like people were all so angry about it, the whole thing. And 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 Red Eye, the show on Fox, which was on at 3 a.m., which is a great show. It got us to tell tales about the uh, the shagging wagon. And, you know, those were the days. Red Eye did a whole segment mocking the notion of people really caring that much that Obama put his feet up on the desk. You know, whether you agree with that or not, put his feet up on the desk, the Oval Office. Knowing that, The Daily Show took the red-eye clips where they're like, how could he? Like, I blame Obama. Like, he's destroying the country. Took them out of context, pretended like they were real segments, not from a comedy show, and aired them for their audience to mock how dumb everybody was watching this Fox show. Like, ha, 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 look at them. They're so they're so silly. And I'm just, and I remember talking to the staff at the time, and they were like, a comedy show would never do this to another comedy show. It's just such dirty pool. Uh, but but it's Fox, so it's considered conservative, so it's fair game. Uh, and, and I see this happening all the time. But I, it is pretty cool. Producer Mike, you know, we we did technically make an appearance. You know, if this was, if I were like an actor, I do think that this would go in my IMDb. Buck's hands on the late show is now a thing that should be found on IMDb. And you know what's even funnier about this? I, I'm not even kidding you. Miss Molly made a joke to me. She's like, make sure, you're, you make sure your hands and your fingernails are clean before we went on TV. This is true, before we went on TV. And I was like, honey, no one's going no to see my hands. Who's going to see my hands? That's like the craziest thing I've ever, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm not going to have like big, big chunks of barbecue meat on my, although, I mean, maybe. But I'm not going to have that on my fingers when I do the segment. Sure enough, the only thing America saw of Buck's scrambled eggs were his fingers and his uh, ill-formed, mucus-looking cold eggs that he was trying to cook with all due haste and speed. So 
I just had to share that with you. You're the, you're the first ones team to to know about this. That uh, I, I I broke through to the other side. Now I'm going mainstream, baby. Made the late show. My knuckles, all ten digits, the whole shebang. They didn't see my face at all, right? No, literally no face. Damn, that's cold. All right, we got to come uh, come back with so much more. Stay with me. Ronnie Jackson, Admiral Doctor, is one of the finest men that I've met over the last long period of time. High quality family. I just met them. And I explained what happened. I explained that Washington can be a very mean place. The false accusations that were made about him by Senator Tester from a great state. I don't think that state is going to put up with it. Calling them names was, to me, a disgrace, an absolute disgrace. And I think it's something we learn from. I called him today. I said, in a certain way, you're in a, in a very big way, you're an American hero. Trump standing up for uh, Dr. Ronnie Jackson there. And, you know, I've been thinking this week, a, a lot of my initial inclinations about this stuff are, um, I, I think, are being borne out by the facts here. And that is when someone has done bad things and they come to light, you tend to know pretty early on if it sounds like it's if they're trying to make something out of nothing or not, because the just just by the now I know it's a generalization, but even beyond that, what you really have to be on the lookout for is when someone says uh, bad things about somebody else. When you're hearing these things, uh, you know, the, oh, so and so did uh, the following took the following actions that are not in keeping with, you know, the honor and integrity of the position that he has or anything else. When you hear things that are false, you really got to stop and think, well, if the person is guilty of, of a number of sins, why are fake sins via fake news being added into the process? I bring you now the updated case of Ronnie Jackson, who has said, look, he's going to stay out of the VA. And remember any post in the Trump administration is considered a political target, right? Even something like the VA, where you would think there could be there'd be some bipartisan goodwill with the idea that, uh, you know, bipartisan goodwill toward just helping our veterans out, anything like that, um, you know, the, that's gone when it comes to Democrats and the way that they view any Trump appointee. Because in the case of the VA, if Greater privatization, let's just say. I'm not I'm not even trying to give a specific prescription here, but if greater prioritiza- uh, prioritization worked, uh, privatization, pardon me, worked, then that would go counter much of the Democrat narrative about what we need to do for national health care, right? So, so it, it's all political is what I'm trying to say. It's all political. And that's why Ronnie Jackson is a target. But he, here's what the... You know, we heard that he banged on the on the door of a female colleague overseas, which in and of itself, by the way. I, what, so he's rude. I mean, that doesn't really. And they, they said he wrecked a government vehicle and um, while he was possibly drunk, which I feel like uh, we should be able to verify that one way or another. And now we finally have verification from a credible source that at least some of the allegations against Ronnie Jackson are, in fact, false. This is from the Secret Service, quote. 
Over the last 48 hours, media outlets have alleged that U.S. US Secret Service uh, personnel were, for, pardon me, were forced to intervene during a presidential foreign travel assignment in order to prevent disturbing former President Barack Obama. Uh, the Secret Service said, said in a statement, uh, the Secret Service has no such record of any incident, specifically any incident involving Rear Admiral Ronnie Jackson. A thorough review of internal documents related to all presidential foreign travel that occurred in 2015, in addition to interviews of personnel who were present during foreign travel that occurred during the same time frame, has resulted in no information that would indicate the allegation is accurate. So, you know, here's the Secret Service saying that this thing that you're reading about, not true. We have no record of this whatsoever. So do we think that the journalists that put this out in the public are a more credible service, a more credible source than the Secret Service on this issue? I, I think you all... Know the answer to that one. Uh, Character assassination, especially in the era of instant global communication and the 24-hour news cycle, uh, character assassination is a very dangerous thing. And it's going on now all the time. In fact, it's one of the primary opposition tactics against the Trump administration. I can't even remember the last time I heard someone say Trump's policy is wrong because of X. Or this Trump official that's pursuing this this specific policy goal or outcome is wrong because of why. No, it's always this person's a sexist, this person's a misogynist, this person has an ethics problem, this person's a racist. That's the opposition all the time. Now, you start to feel like there's a suspicion here, right? It feels suspicious after a while that you have so many individuals who are accused of these things, and in many cases... There's no follow-up. Uh, the information doesn't pan out. It's not what we've been led to believe. And in this case, with Ronnie Jackson, not only that, we know some of the information's false. I'd like to say, oh, you know, leave it to the courts, but the court of public opinion now determines uh, livelihoods. It determines, you know, your, your reputation now is more important than it's ever been. You know, 100 years ago, you could probably, like, shoot somebody in one part of the country do your time, hop on a wagon or, uh, well, 100 years ago it would have been, yeah, yeah, a horse, drawn cart of some kind, whatever. However people were moving around in uh, 1917, you know, train. There you go. They'd hop on a train. And, it, you know, if you left, you went to the West Coast, you take up a new name, you know, you're, you probably get a fresh start. You know, now, if you're the guy that's beating down the door of a female colleague while the president's sleeping down the hallway... That's the guy you're known as. That follows you all over the place. So reputational damage, I would argue, is a much uh, more urgent issue now than it has ever been before in the history of our species. Um, because you can't escape. You can't even take the path of ostracism, right? Back in ancient Greece, uh, they would write on terracotta right on on pottery and, and they would go through a process of voting to ostracize someone to literally kick them out of the city state and if you did that sure you'd be out in the wild and you might be eaten by like a large pack of now extinct european wolves or something but you know if you made it to the next city state or town or whatever it was 
probably get a, probably get another start going. You know, tell people that uh, you just didn't like you just didn't like how things were going in your old town. Now it follows you everywhere, and so that's why I think that the the left's particular embrace of to borrow an O'Reillyism here being smear merchants wasn't he the guy who used to always say smear merchant right? Am I is that am I accrediting that to O'Reilly when it's not technically an O'Reillyism? Um, their embrace of that is something we have to take note of. When you, yeah, it is. It's a there you go, there you go, uh, because when they have control also of so many of the distribution mechanisms for information, the social media platforms that are out there, uh, then you have to really pay close attention as well. Uh, you have to pay close attention to what's being said about these public figures and how it's really going to affect uh, going forward. How it's really going to affect perception of them. Speaking of which, uh, so you got Ronnie Ronnie Jackson. He's out. And now you also have a whole series of allegations about Tom Brokaw, um, who, you know, oh, Tom Brokaw, he's, I've done his voice on the show before. Uh, but this is serious stuff, actually. He, he, he has been accused of sexual harassment three decades ago. Not sexual assault, from what I understand, sexual harassment. And... He's fighting back. So uh, how do we weigh this one? And what should we think? We'll get into that right after uh, this quick break. I've got a lot going on these days, but one of the things I look forward to is being able to sit back and relax, get a little bit of sun when the weather's good, and have a glass of delicious G4 tequila. G4 is the pinnacle of master distiller Felipe Camarena's passion for crafting truly great tequila. I like to drink it straight up, but you can also throw a couple of ice cubes in there if you want. Sometimes just a bit of lime is also really nice to help bring out some of the flavor. But G4 has tremendous flavor on its own. It's distilled using 50% harvested rainwater and 50% spring water. And the distillery where it's made, El Pandillo, was recently ranked number two in all of Mexico by Taste Tequila. So check it out. Visit g4tequila.life. That's g4tequila.life for more details. Or go give them a like on Facebook at facebook.com slash g4tequilas. Welcome to Hour 3, my friends. Our Freestyle Friday is uh, is going strong as always. i got to say, I'm a little surprised, uh, but I guess you always are when these things come out if it hasn't been rumored for quite a while. A little surprised to see that uh, Tom Brokaw is a name that is now associated with uh, the allegations made as part of what we're referring to as the Me Too movement. Brokaw, as you know, is one of the most famous uh, newsmen of his generation. He is, uh, you know, a, a guy who was a world famous, a multi multi millionaire, and is just identified very much with that golden era of big name news anchors, right? I mean, he he was what I mean, he's up there with Dan Rather, Brokaw, Peter Jennings. He's one of those guys. Well, now he's one of these guys who's been accused of being a groper and a harasser uh, by a named a a named party. In this case, uh, Linda Vester, whom I'm not really familiar with, um, but who has had a long career in journalism as well, including uh, quite a bit of time at NBC as a foreign correspondent and then having her own show at Fox News. Uh, She claims now there's a lot going on here. 
first of all, the allegations are from back in the 1990s. All right, so so we start with that. The allegations are from back in the 1990s, way back when. And we're talking about now 30 years, roughly, having passed since this was alleged to have happened. And there, there's nothing here that's of the uh, Weinstein, certainly nothing of the Cosby variety of, I mean, you could say, uh, I mean, you could claim that an unwanted advance, like trying to kiss somebody, uh, is like a misdemeanor assault or something. But, you know, it's not, it's nothing that would have been a serious, treated as a serious criminal matter. None of these allegations, right? So put that aside, because I, I always think it's important to separate out what level of this stuff we're really dealing with, you know, how, how intense is this thing uh, that we're talking about here? And, you know, sure enough, um, in this case, it's somebody who may have made some, uh, you know, unwanted advances and acted in in a sleazy and and sexually aggressive way. Uh, she was 28 at the first incident, she says, and didn't report it because she said she was scared it would end her career. And then there was another incident. So I think there were two separate incidents here where she says that Tom Brokaw uh, essentially did his version of what they called the Krusty Paul when it came to. Um, what's that guy's name? Charlie Rose. So it sounds like Tom Brokaw allegedly also had a crusty paw. He was like to grab younger women and make a play for, for them uh, physically under the guise of giving them advice or being helpful to them in their careers. Now, Brokaw has been married since like the 60s, the same woman. So in, now we get the response from Brokaw. And, you know, in some of these incidents, uh, in, in some of these incidents, you have a Maybe a, a suspicious silence is too strong a way of putting it, but you definitely have a sense that there's a, well, how much of this is true? How much of it is false? What do I what does the accused have to admit to versus what should the accused actually defend himself against? And uh, in this case, um, Brokaw has come out absolutely swinging in response to this. He He wrote, uh, this is in an email to colleagues that I see reported on by, who who posted this? The Hollywood Reporter. This is what Brokaw wrote in response. It's 4 a.m. on the first day of my new life as an accused predator in the universe of American journalism. I was ambushed and then perp-walked across the pages of the Washington Post and Variety as an avatar of male misogyny taken to the guillotine and stripped of any honor and achievement I had earned in more than half a century of journalism and citizenship. I am angry, hurt, and unmoored from what I thought would be the final passage of my life and career, a mix of written and broadcast uh, broadcast journalism, philanthropy, and participation in environmental and social causes that have given extra meaning to my life. Instead, I'm facing a long list of grievances from a former colleague who left NBC News angry that she had failed in her pursuit of stardom. She has unleashed a torrent of unsubstantiated criticism and attacks on me more than 20 years after I opened the door for her and a new job at Fox News. So he's not even just saying this isn't true. He's going on offense, which I think is a little bit of a surprise under the, well, not a surprise, unusual in most of these cases. So, you know, what are we to do? Brokaw's already stepped back from the 
announcement uh, or from the commencement that he was supposed to give at a University of Connecticut uh, school. So he's not going to give a commencement address in a few weeks or whatever. So he's stepping away from certain things. Now, you can explain that as he doesn't he doesn't want uh, to be in a situation where he's detracting from the students there. I can understand that. He also probably wants to avoid, guilty or not of these allegations, a, a protest. Um, but I, I have, you know, you don't want to be giving a commencement speech if you're, especially when you're Brokaw, and he's a guy who comes from the, the pinnacle of the elite media. So he's used to everyone kissing up to him, being super nice to him. People like me do a pretty good impersonation of him, which I won't do now because we're talking about serious subject matter. But those of you who haven't heard, my bro call is actually pretty good. Uh, but he doesn't want to show up there because of the situation. I understand that. And then, he, but I want to look at this from the perspective of what do we do? Well, what are, what are people in the public? This is all about public opinion, right? He's not being criminally charged with anything. I don't even think there really is a criminal. There wouldn't have been a criminal basis even at the time. It was sexual harassment. Sure. This is an HR department thing, not a police department thing. I- assuming it's all true uh, from what I've read. Right. There could be additional stuff. But from what I've seen, it's it's HR, which means, you know, you could be sanctioned in the workplace or even terminated for it. But not no one's going to arrest you for trying to kiss a woman who does it. I mean, assuming you stop if you try to kiss her, she goes no and you don't kiss her. Uh, so you kind of ask the question, why is it that, uh, or I asked the question, how about that? Why is it that uh, Linda Vester would come out now 30 years later and she says, this is where the story maybe becomes a little more interesting, especially given all the other stuff that's going on with, you know, Matt Lauer, obviously. And, you know, he, he was the face of this network for years and he's admitted to gross conduct. He just says it wasn't criminal, but the Linda Vester claims that NBC, uh, women were treated like playthings. That that's her word from from one of her. Uh, well, for she gave kind of a statement that was printed in Variety, um, but that women were treated as playthings by more senior senior male uh, colleagues, and that there was a, a culture of misogyny in place there. And now you got to think if Brokaw. I mean, you know, Lauer definitely was doing really shady stuff. He was pulling stuff that. A normal person in a normal job would be fired for, and for sure, right? At a minimum, I mean, maybe maybe worse than that, but but definitely be fired for. Is it that much of a leap with Brokaw? I mean, I go back and forth on this one in terms of how much or whether I I, I believe the allegations. I find them it's credible. The woman's on the record. Uh, it, it seems to me like it's completely believable. But then you get into, so are we just, you know, you take the Hillary line, you know, women are to be, women have the right to be believed. So does that mean that now we all treat Tom Brokaw like some kind of pariah because he uh, grabbed a woman's rear and tried to make out with her 30 years ago? Well, what is the, I really mean, what is the appropriate sanction for that? She says it's trying to force a conversation at NBC about their culture of misogyny. I can assure you that anyone who works there now is not going to be like, oh, we need to have like a lot of a lot of long meetings about what Brokaw did in the 90s, which is what we're talking about here. So I I don't know that we have really a a clear pathway for how to have a discussion about this. And a lot of you probably Buck, who even cares? Well, you know, you probably watched a good bit of Brokaw growing up. I'm going to guess. I mean, he comes from an era when you didn't really have choice in news. 
And so, in a sense, y- you had to watch some Brokaw or some Rather or some Jennings or whoever else the other guys were. And so, when I see it, I see it in that context, I think to myself, you know, I, I can't, I'm kind of curious to know if there's merit to these allegations or not, if they're true or not, or if it's uh, perhaps, you know, it, it could be exaggerated. There could be some personal vendetta work here. You, you just don't know. But notice there will never be a trial. There will never be a real public hearing for this. It's just going to turn into who do you believe, but then also what consequences should be leveled against somebody for 30-year-old accusations that cannot be proven in any court. There's no way. And as we look at them now, we got to think to ourselves, uh, what, what are we to make of this? I mean, for mostly it just means that Brokaw doesn't get to ride off into the sunset, some kind of hero to the elite media and, and to the, well, not just to the coast. He was watched by millions. That's my thoughts on Brokaw for now. Next time we talk about Brokaw, hopefully I can make some jokes about him. But for this, this is serious stuff. So uh, we'll see. Uh, team, we've got a big block O roll call coming your way later on this hour. I'm just going to get through a lot of your uh, messages, a lot of your emails. So I'm looking forward to uh, joining uh, joining you with that. And uh, I hope you can also call in 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Uh, back in just a sec. You know, there are only a, a few areas of life where I could admit... I'm a little bit of a little bit of an authoritarian or, or even a statist. There are only a very few uh, very few places where I find myself wishing for the intervention of the state above and beyond any market forces or anything else. And it just has to do with quality of life stuff. I, I know, I know this is this is curmudgeonly buck in full effect here, but I'm reminded of it. When I see that uh, in Miami Beach right now, police are cracking down on drivers who blast loud music from cars as they cruise around the city uh, because they're getting so many noise complaints and there's so much of a disturbance caused by this and they're just sick of it. Right. And so and these are in areas where tourists go also. and I think the tourists are probably are probably sick of it. I got to tell you, I have. Zero tolerance in my mind, at least. I don't really do anything about it. But for hearing music coming from a car that's going, you know, when, when it and it's so loud that it like shakes the windows, even if they're closed near you. I mean, if you're in a building, I'm not talking about in the car. You know, it, it's like the, there's a sonic boom emanating from this vehicle and you know, whatever the beat may be. It's just crazy, man. I, I remember a few times that when I lived in, in the District of Columbia, also known as D.C., I don't know why I just nerded out there, being awoken or waking up, awoken, which is it? I think it's it's one or the We'll go with either. Why don't we go with either? Uh, but I, I remember very specifically that, uh, that happening to me a few times there, and it just drives me insane. As you know, I am waging a one-man jihad. Because it's an internal struggling. I haven't actually done anything about it, right? And jihad is internal struggling, we are, we are told. It is striving, is the official academic definition. So I'm w- w- waging a buck jihad against backup noise. The single most unnecessary noise pollution that exists other than car alarms. Car alarms may be the simple dumbest thing on the planet. Like car alarms to me 
are up there with the TSA patting down a five-year-old. You know, like, it's just, it's so stupid and unnecessary and annoying that I can't imagine how any human being would, would ever think it's a good idea, would defend it, or any of the above. Right? Car alarms are just simply the worst. But number two is the beep, 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 like the backup noise you hear, because you can't escape it. You know, if you go to a beautiful resort somewhere, you think you've gotten away. Oh, let me tell you, one of like the groundskeeping vehicles, like beep, 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 you're going to hear that stupid Beep, beep, beep noise. If it's if wherever you are gets food deliveries, if there's any kind of of commercial use vehicles present, you're going to hear that stupid noise and you can't escape it. And I've actually because I get so angry about these things, I read about it. The noise that you hear in this country was, I think, invented in the 1970s in Japan. And it's actually at a decibel level that if you were close enough to it is damaging to hearing. And it's not like they came up with some scientific, oh, this is the perfect noise to alert people to think. No, it was just, what's the most annoying thing we can possibly do? Uh, what's the what's the movie where the guy's like, do you want to hear the most annoying sound ever? And he just goes, bah! you know what I'm talking What is that? It's actually, actually Bruce Michael, I mean, no. do you want to hear the most annoying sound? Of the, what, which one is that? I think it's Dumb and Dumber, but I could be, is it? Hey. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Guys! 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 But it's like that. It's like a, a whole, not even generation, multiple generations now have been uh, forced to have that noise emanating, that noise bursting through and into our eardrums for no real good reason. About half of the time when people have, have had backups, uh, backup uh, accidents, the noise was going on. And because nobody wants to be held liable for anyway. So this is where you can see, I start, to, I start to feel like there need to be ordinances that enforce order. And noise, noise pollution is such a toxic, stress-elevating, unnecessary, terrible thing. That I'm kind of, I'm with the Miami Beach PD. Look, they're they're just going to give out warnings on this. It's it's you know they're not going. I'm sure they're not going to arrest many people over, it, but at least allows them pull people over and say, please turn down the music. And I guess they're going to have a decibel a decibel machine, something like that. Yeah. Uh, oh no, no. They said the county ordinance doesn't include specific criteria like decibel levels, um, but stipulates that noise can be heard a hundred feet from a vehicle is not allowed. I like it. There you go. A little subjective here. Yes, is this, is this uh, in a sense, government overreach or is it? Yeah, yeah, I, I know. Look, I'm, I'm admitting it at least. This is where I throw my inner libertarian out the window. I don't like a lot of excessive noise. Reminds me of, uh, I lived, when I was in Amherst College, I lived near the intersection, the main intersection of the town. And they used to, they had this thing that you'd have, you know, it'd be like 10, 9, Eight when it was time to cross, and this is a town that, you know, no no one's crossing this intersection at night. Okay, very very few people, and it would go this like, it would make this weird noise also, and I remember seeing one night uh, a group of guys, and they were two. It was, it was actually three guys, but you know they were in their PJs or whatever, and one of them had a had a golf putter, 
and he ran out there, and we could see where the noise was coming from this little speaker that was on one of the poles. And I will never forget, because it would wake me up in the middle of this, like, 10, 9, beep, beep. And this guy took his putter and just beat the crap out of this sound box thing that was at the intersection. And then you heard, you know, you heard it sort of like, you know, it was donezo. And I, ne- and you know what? They didn't fix it. It was like the second semester of my senior year. Never heard that stupid noise again. So, you know, I mean, I had no, I had no part in its destruction, but uh, gotta say, it was kind of nice not to hear that stupid noise. So, Miami Beach PD, hopefully, you're a model for the rest of the country with this team. We'll be back with roll call. Team Buck, it's time for roll call. party where they play music like that. I haven't been to a party. Have you been to a party where they played music like that recently? I think it'd be fun. I'd like to go check that out myself. I think that would be uh I haven't been to a party where actually they had live music in quite a long time, now that I think about it. I feel like it's other than weddings. And I'm I'm going to a couple of weddings here coming up. Very exciting. Uh, two weddings in the family, in fact, which I am very much uh, looking forward to. And uh of course we'll only Turn up the uh, engagement heat even more on yours truly, but uh, I got it. I got it covered. It's all good. Don't worry about it, team. So let's get into uh, roll call. Oh, wait! Before I get into roll call, I, I've got to. I got to get a tux because uh, my my fight against the dad bod is not going so well that my tux from eighteen months ago still fits. And uncomfortable tux, no no bueno. It's no good. If the tux doesn't fit right, you, the whole night you're just like. This tuxedo, it's no good. So I got to go rent a tux now, which, you know, fine. Um, fine. Uh, not a big deal, but I, I do feel like there's something about wearing clothing that perhaps hundreds of people have worn before. I know they clean it. I know they clean it. I do have my, my shoes because my feet didn't get chubby, so that's good news. Uh, my shoes will still uh, very much fit, so I'm I'm happy about that. Um, so yay me and my socks, but I gotta get a tux. I gotta go to some fun stuff. And there is a rumor out there, and I'm gonna get to roll call. Don't worry. But there's a rumor out there that I may in fact be um, meeting some micro pigs this weekend. Crazy, crazy cool stuff. Micro piglets. Friend of mine's arranging it. And I'm going to get to, uh, you know, I think you're not allowed to have them, like, long-term in New York City. I think they technically count, even though they're quite small, they technically count as uh, farm animals. You know, have you ever seen these micro pigs? They're amazing. They're like, uh, you know, they're like 15 pounds. They're, they're, they're tiny. Yeah, they're cute. Brandon agrees. They're very, very cute. So there's that. All right, into the roll call here. We have, first up, John, who writes, Battlestar Galactica miniseries is prequel The Real Pilot on Amazon Prime. Huh. So I have to... Do you know about this, Brandon? Are you a Battlestar guy? No? So I tried to watch Battlestar Galactica, and it's like I missed some stuff, but it was the first episode. So now I'm being told there's a miniseries that's a prequel to it. You know, they got to figure this stuff out. Why don't they take that miniseries then and just add it to the first season? It doesn't make any sense. So I'm not I'm not crazy, or at least I'm not crazy because of this. So that's good. That's good news. 
Um, and uh, there you have it. So thank you, John. Now at least I know what I can watch. Uh, next up here, Will writes, uh, Buck, the confession's about the hat. LOL, dude. Darn, man, that's hilarious. We're dying here listening to the rant. Keep it coming. Well, Will, I- I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad that my various hat-sizing humiliations have provided fodder for the show. It's happened so many times. You know, I always hated ice hockey, and it's because I used to, I I didn't know what to do at the time. I was a little kid. I tried to play ice hockey maybe in the first grade for one season, and after each ice hockey practice, I would get just a terrible headache, which when you're a first grader, you know, first graders, you're like, you don't get headaches, right? I mean, you're, what are you you stressed about? You've lost the G.I. Joe? I mean, you're, you're not really... But I used to get headaches, and I, it was because I didn't realize that even the biggest helmet for Pee-wee was too small for my head. Uh, some of you, if you've ever had this experience, you probably haven't, so you probably think I'm just being weird. Uh, but if you've ever borrowed somebody else's fins for scuba diving or something, and they're just a little too tight, you won't necessarily notice it yet on your feet, but then your feet will actually start cramping uh, from the pressure. So it's kind of like that with your head with a helmet. Also... <laughs> Now I'm really telling you guys some stuff. Also the same reason uh, that I do not wear headphones when I do a radio show. Because I, the headphones, I, I either stretch them out or they're too tight for me. And people are always like, oh no, here, you can borrow my really nice, you know, Bose headset. I'm like, no, I just use an earpiece. That's all I need. And I'm quite happy with it. Uh, next up here, Peter, who writes... Great job on Tucker last night. Well, Peter, thank you very much for that. Uh, it was really it was a fun segment with Tucker. Got to talk about uh, what's going on with Joy Reid and how her story is getting increasingly implausible with time. So uh, there you have it. Um, yeah, it was a uh, it was a fun segment. I think Reid. I made this prediction last night on the show, and Tucker didn't get didn't get into it all that much because we didn't have that much time. I think she may actually manage by saying the FBI is investigating. It might save her show or at least save her job on the show, because remember, the FBI doesn't necessarily say we can prove there was no cyber intrusion into her blog. They will just say we were unable to find one and therefore not investigating one. But by the time they come out and say that, I think, you know, enough time will have passed that Reed will then be able to say, well, you know, I mean, it's uh, old stuff. You know, this has been dealt with. We've moved on. We've dealt with that already. This is the this is like the new version of crisis PR. Say the FBI is investigating. Hey, in a sense, it worked for Hillary. Michael, next up here in roll call. Uh, yes, Buck, you're absolutely right. The Beatles are the most overrated band in music history expat Mike writing in Singapore. Well, thank you, Mike. Look, I know that there's this whole argument to be made about how the Beatles had a profound impact on music and they were the first true uh, global phenomenon, pop band and all that. That's all true. But the Beatles, you know, they had hits and they had misses. And I think they're so revered now in the canon of music uh, that people assume that anything that's Beatles had to be worthwhile and good. It's just not true. In fact, the Beatles themselves said later on in their careers that during their first tour in America, they weren't even good at playing their instruments. Like, we weren't even good at playing our instruments. 
that kind of sounds a little bit like, right? It's difficult playing the instrument. It's a Liverpudlian accent is, and see, that's what, if you're from Liverpool, it's Liverpudlian. And a Liverpudlian accent is a tough thing to pull off. Uh, it is a very, you know, playing the playing the guitar and writing the songs and the, I, I can't, I'm kind of getting near it, but I'm like 10% of the way there, maybe. Um, William writes, you finally get on the, sh- on the same show as POTUS and you friggin' scramble eggs? <laughs> William, I can't, I mean, this is from Fox and Friends earlier the week. I'm not in charge of what the segment is that I get to do. I was just happy to be on Fox and Friends. I had a good time scrambling the eggs. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Uh, so... You know, yeah, it was it was good. I'd, I'd like to do more TV chefing. I'll tell you, you get a little nervous. You know, I'm not all that used to it, and you can get a little bit nervous with the chef stuff. You're like, oh, what, what's going on here? You know, am I gonna? I can't be cracking eggs on TV, throwing shell in the middle of my dish, and act like that's okay. So there's some stuff there. A uh, team, I want to roll into a. Uh, we're, we're we're just gonna pause the team bucks uh, roll call. I almost said something else, but you know, I meant roll call. And uh, come to it on the flip side of uh, of this little break. So uh, stay right there. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Gotta send you off to the weekend with the party. Relax style. Or what is that called? Dubstep is what I meant. Dubstep. It sounds a little bit like Skrillex, but... It all sounds to me like Skrillex. He's the only one that I know. If you don't know who he is, don't worry. You're not missing all that much. Back into our roll call, our, our part dieu of Friday roll call, where we uh, get to hear from all of you. And uh, Mike writes next, which two songs from the White Album? I'll still listen to your broadcast every chance I get, but you just lost a bit of respect for me, at least as far as how much soul you're packing. Um, all right, man, since you asked for it, I'm just going to tell you, Mike, Obla di obla da may be the most annoying song ever written. It may be the single most annoying. I mean, it's up there with uh, Karma Chameleon, which there's no level of alcohol I can drink that Karma Chameleon doesn't annoy me. You know, it's not like I ever think, ah, Karma Chameleon's on. I'm drunk. Yay. You don't know. No. I'm always like, turn off that bad music. I don't like it. I'm drunk. So I, uh, not that I get drunk, but I'm just saying, theoretically. Karma Chameleon is a, is a bad song, but Obla Di Obla Da is worse. And if we're talking White Album here, oh, Rocky Raccoon. It's a terrible song. If I told you that your camp counselor from when like you were 15 years old or 12 years old or whatever, when you went to camp, wrote Rocky Raccoon, you'd be like, yeah, that sounds about right. Just It's just not a good song. So I'm not going to try. Look, I like Blackbird. There's some good stuff on the White Album. Dear Prudence. But there's also a lot of like, nah, it doesn't really hold up. I know. Come at me. Go ahead. That's right, Springsteen supporters. You want a piece? You can. You can get a piece too. We all know Springsteen's overrated. Uh, let's see. What we got here. Taylor writes, dude. What did Fox and Friends have that was more important than you finishing your eggs? Didn't look like a hard break to me, Taylor. I'm not gonna lie to you. I felt like I needed another minute or two there, and I would have gotten through it, and I would have made. Some dope eggs, but I was not allowed to because of the time constraints. People who are telling me, Buck, you should have turned the heat higher. I'm like, I, I had it on the highest setting. It's a 
See, you can tell I take this a little personally. I had it on the highest setting. I make eggs every day. I know exactly what I'm doing. But the little stovetop thing that they had wasn't much of a stove. And I had, I had two minutes, I think, and 15 seconds for the entire segment. And I, and I got to put the eggs in the pan, right? See, what other people do, I wanted to chef it up. What other people do is they have the food there that's already done, and then they just talk about it. And they're like, oh, this is my great-great-grandma's recipe, and it's so delicious. And I'm like, no, no, no. I make it in real time. Chef Buck executes on the spot. That's how I roll, you know? I roll, I roll up the sleeves, literally, and then I go after it and, uh, you know, make a play for it on screen in real time, and that's what I did. Now, granted, at the end, we just kind of had a messy goo it sort of looked like somebody blew their nose in my frying pan. Gross. But you know what? You're going to remember that. Uh, but you learn how to crack the eggs properly. Not on the edge, my friends. You don't crack the eggs on the edge of, not on the edge of the counter, not on the edge of the pan or the pot. You crack them on a flat surface over a little piece of paper towel because you'll have a little bit of drippage, and then you're good to go. And that way, you don't have to worry about the any of the uh, excess. Um Next up here, Joe writes, keep a uh, good show yesterday. I love the dubstep. Oh, look at that. Perfect timing. Love the dubstep roll call. Long live it. Sorry I'm a day behind. Keep doing what you do. Have a good one. Oh, Joe, thank you so much. I, I really do appreciate it. You know, I've got uh, a lot going on now, and every message I get that says, hey, good job, I, I appreciate it very, very much. And now, I'm not stalling. I'm just saying that there's some... Um, other stuff here that I need to... Oh, uh, yeah, here we go. Lev writes, welcome. Thank you, Lev. Well, welcome to you, too. Love your show and your History Shields High episodes. Well, Lev, you're a man of phenomenal taste. That I can tell you for sure. And uh, very much appreciate you listening and joining in. Um, Gardner writes in, hey, Buck, your show is the best of... The big four radio hosts. Keep sweeping the leg. Shields high. Gardner. Oh, Gardner, thank you so much. You're very, very kind. It's an honor to even be spoken about in the same company as the big four uh, or the big three, as it were. So thank you so much, and I appreciate it. Um, Brian writes, so excited to see your hard work on your amazing show really starting to pay off nationally. Well-deserved. Keep the dream alive, brother. Black Rifle is an amazing company who recently do- donated a bunch of coffee to our veteran nonprofit that gets injured vets on the water fishing for a few days. Freedom Fighter Outdoors. K-Cups? Really? My friend, you need to invest in a French press, a grinder, and a toothpick. Easy way to make you and Miss Molly a 1,000% better coffee while making your eggs and bacon in the AM. Just saying. Also, I know you New York City folks start late, but it's time to make... Uh, Make that proposal. Ah, all right, all right, Brian. Original Saturday Squad. Thank you, thank you. Yes, I, I know, I know. I appreciate all the, all the personal advice, folks. Um, but uh, as to the K cup, which is also somewhat personal, and the whole coffee situation there, I would just say um, it is. Uh, how do I put this? K cups because they're so easy and so idiot proof. I, I just fall back on them. I don't know. Do you French press, Brandon? No? You're not a French press kind of guy? I, I, I'm a, I just want coffee. I just want caffeine in the morning. I'm not going to lie. I, I think 
that's really what it comes down to for me is can I have some caffeine in the AM that will get my day started and get me going? And uh, that's all I got on that. So I'm glad you, uh, by the way, I'll look into Freedom Fighter Outdoors. Sounds like a great organization. I will uh, take a look at that as well. And I appreciate you um, bringing it to my attention. William writes, there's some great meat substitutes, but you're right. A medium rare portobello mushroom tastes like a mushroom. Uh, the Terror, by the way, the TV show is awesome. It's so great. Victorian era British maritime stuff. Can't wait for Cobra Kai. The Terror is now on my on my list of shows. I've mentioned to you before. Um, let me see if I can pull out my list here real quick while I'm on the air. I'm not sure if I can actually. When, where did it go? I've lost it right now. Anyway, I've got a list going somewhere. I'll find it. Of the shows that I want to watch. The Terror is on there. I want to get back into the Americans. And I think because I've told you all about Cobra Kai, I've also got to add Cobra Kai onto my list of possible. So there is that. Um, and uh, there you go. So everyone, I really hope uh, you have a fantastic weekend planned. I don't know what you've got going, but I'm sure it is going to be uh, exceptional. And I hope you get a lot of rest and relaxation out of it. Please do tell some folks about this show. Uh, I'm going to be broadcasting from Washington, D.C. next week. More announcements to come about that i'm not i'm not trying to stall or hold out on you team you guys know you're my family i just uh we, you know we're gonna have some official official announcements coming out certainly in the next two weeks hopefully next week but i'll be down in dc the freedom hut will be from there for uh, next week so uh from our nation's capital from the center of the swamp the freedom hut emerges like a phoenix uh, download the podcast tell a friend about it if you get a chance this weekend if you're bored be like hey there's the show the buck sexton show Works every time, folks. Works every time. Talk to you all on Monday. Shields high. If you're like me, your day can get a little crazy, so it's nice to actually start it off the same way in the same rhythm with something you look forward to. For me, that's Black Rifle Coffee. Every morning, I get to have a cup of either silence or smooth or caffeinated as blank or any number of the phenomenal blends that Black Rifle offers up. And this is a coffee company started and owned by United States veterans. They employ their fellow veterans, and they're all about giving back to the community of veterans across the country. They're also deeply concerned with freedom, America, and entrepreneurship. Oh, and phenomenal taste in coffee. Go check them out for yourself. Go to blackriflecoffee.com buck. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. Use the coupon code buck15. That's buck15 for 15% off. Again, blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. Coupon code buck15 for 15% off.